The Statue of Liberty once suffered severe damage from flying shrapnel. It's an amazing story, and the internet says it's true. Welcome to The Internet Says It's True, where every week we learn something that sounds like it's made up, but it's really true. Part of the WCBE podcast experience. My name is Michael Kent. Thank you so much for coming back and listening. Before we get into this week's story, I just want to thank you for uh, listening to the previous week's. Hope you enjoyed last week's story. I really enjoyed learning about George and Willie Muse. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that as well. All of these take me the week to uh, to study, to research, to look up. It takes a lot of time, and there is quite a bit of expense with putting on this production every week. If you want to help out and support the podcast, you can do that at patreon.com slash Michael Kent and become a so-called tizzitor. Uh, you can do that for as little as a dollar a month or as much as however much you want. Uh, you know, if you feel like you listen to this every week and it's got some value, consider being a part of that club. Uh, once again, it's patreon.com slash Michael Kent, and I uh, hope to see you there. When you do, you get access to bonus content. You get every episode a week early and ad-free. You get all of the Zoom videos, the Zoom calls from our guests, and you can sort of watch those in detail before I edit them. Uh, and not only that, you get 20% off if you want to, the internet says it's true t-shirt. You can get 20% off there. Anyway, uh, let's get on to this week's episode. It is about a story that not many people actually know about. It's been a while since we've talked about the Mandela Effect, the idea that somehow a large group of people misremember something like, collectively. And one Mandela Effect that's related to this story is about the Statue of Liberty. There are a ton of people alive today who claim to remember visiting the Statue of Liberty and climbing the stairs all the way up to the torch where they looked out over New York Harbor. But it's doubtful that anyone currently living has been up to the torch of the statue. Because while the statue was built for the torch to be accessed by tourists, it's been closed from visitors since 1916. And the reason it was closed? It was irreparably damaged in a massive explosion only 3,000 feet away. World War I was raging in Europe. The deadly Battle of the Somme had just begun in France and would last for five more months, producing more than one million casualties. And during the Great War, there were at least 10 instances of attempted terrorist attacks in America by Germany. For instance, Germany had sponsored a program the previous year to sabotage the American cattle industry. America didn't join the fight in Europe until early 1917, but Germany was nervous about America's supply of materials to France and Britain, including cattle. Anton Dilger was an American who sympathized with Germany after studying there. He returned to the United States with anthrax and glanders with the intention of infecting and killing livestock. While it's not thought that he was incredibly successful, he was discovered by the FBI and fled to Mexico. That same year, a German agent entered the U.S., planted a bomb in the Senate reception room at the U.S. Capitol, and set it to detonate at midnight. It didn't kill anyone, but the saboteur's plot was to send a message for America to stay out of war profiteering. One of the largest profiteers was J.P. Morgan, and that same German agent, Eric Munter, broke into the home of Morgan and shot him twice. J.P. Morgan survived, but Munter died soon after, most likely from suicide. 
The most deadly of these acts of German-sponsored terrorism happened on July 30, 1916, just 3,000 feet from the Statue of Liberty. It was the middle of the night, and the summer night on New York Harbor was calm, just southwest of Liberty Island, which used to be known as Bedloe's Island, there was a munitions depot called Black Tom Island. Just outside of Jersey City, the island was a man-made rectangle of land mostly built up from refuse and rocks in the New York Harbor. It had a reputation as an environmental hazard, and people in New York hated that it was so close to the city. A lot of this criticism came because of an 1875 accidental explosion on the island that killed four people. The island was the location of two million pounds of small arms and artillery ammunition. They were being stored on rail cars sitting on barges, ready to be shipped to Russia to assist them in the war effort. That night, around midnight, several small fires were discovered on the pier near the barges. Employees on the island started frantically trying to fight the fires and eventually called the Jersey City Fire Department for help. Some simply ran away, thinking there was no way these fires were ever going to be contained. And they were right. Two hours later, at 2.08 in the morning, a huge explosion rocked the island. This explosion was so large, it was heard all the way in Philadelphia. It blew the windows out of every high-rise building in Lower Manhattan. One of the barges was loaded with 50 tons of TNT. It had 417 cases of detonating fuses. According to an article at Firefighter Nation, the blast wave traveled at 24,000 feet per second and tore firefighters from their boots, throwing them in the air. With shredded clothes, bleeding ears, and faces full of soot and dirt, the Jersey City Fire Department continued to fight the fire. They couldn't get to a second barge with another fire burning. At 2.40 a.m., another explosion, this one slightly smaller, rocked the island. The explosions that went off that night would have registered high on the Richter scale. For reference, when the World Trade Center's North Tower collapsed in 2001, it registered a 2.3 on the Richter scale. It's thought that, had the Richter scale existed, the Black Tom Island explosions would have registered somewhere around a 5.5. It wasn't until the next morning that most of the city saw the devastation. The Statue of Liberty was pelted with shrapnel. The rivets popped out of the right arm, and the arm holding the torch was pushed up against the statue's crown. The island was temporarily closed, and nearby Ellis Island was evacuated. Throughout the city, office buildings were missing windows, and nearer to Black Tom Island, blackened, twisted metal and debris covered an area several city blocks wide. A giant crater extended below sea level near the pier and filled with debris and water. James Doherty, a police officer from Jersey City, was killed in the explosion. So was Cornelius Lydon, the Lehigh Valley Railroad chief of police. One of the barge captains was also killed. Sadly, a 10-week-old baby lost its life as well, being thrown from his crib all the way in Jersey City. A total of seven people were killed as a result of these series of explosions. And what did the public think caused the explosions? Well, as reported in many of the newspapers in the aftermath, they thought it was negligence. Remember, this was an island with a history of being filled with rubbish and explosives, with little protection from accidents and without the proper safety measures. So everyone just thought it was another accident like the one that had happened in 1875. And that was partly true. There wasn't nearly enough water supply to the island to fight the fires. 
One of the things that was blamed was the lighting of smudge pots to keep mosquitoes away. Railroad officials, warehouse owners, and barge operators were immediately arrested. Edgar Clark, a commissioner with the Interstate Commerce Commission, immediately began working on a report to President Woodrow Wilson and found that there was no violation of federal laws governing the packing and transportation of explosives. So the men that were initially arrested were freed. They knew a fire had started the chain of events, but they hadn't yet discovered the sinister truth. They had been the victim of what's thought to be one of the first foreign terrorist attacks in the United States. We'll talk more about who did it after a quick break. I want to tell you about a new sponsor that I'm really excited to be working with. I'm not sure if you've tried CBD products, but they really have improved my life personally. It's a hemp derivative that helps me sleep, especially in hotels and on the road. Adventru is a company you're going to want to know about because who doesn't love a night of restful sleep? I'm telling you, I have one of those beds that sends a sleep score to my phone in the morning. When I started having a CBD gummy at night, my sleep score went up 10 points. Adventru is a brand new hemp company bringing you all natural, high quality hemp products. If you're trying it for the first time, or you're an experienced user, they've got the answer to help you sleep. They're called Drift Gummies, and they're made with all natural ingredients and popular hemp compounds like CBD and CBN. They've got valerian root and lemon balm in them. Drift is flying off the shelves, and I don't want you to miss out. So go to adventru.com, that's A-D-V-E-N-T-R-U-E.com, and enter promo code WELCOME15 to get 15% off your first order Once again, that's adventru.com, or just visit the link in the show notes. If you love listening to this podcast every week and you want to show your support, that would mean a great deal to me. You can do that by becoming a Patreon member. We've got members at all levels, whether you want to pledge $1 a month or $10 a month. Just think about the value that you receive from this show. And if you like the histories and the stories that you learn about or the jokes that you hear, and if you think that they're worth it, consider signing up. For that, you get every episode ad-free and a week early, access to bonuses like the unedited videos of the guest appearances, and 20% off all merchandise. You can sign up today at patreon.com slash Michael Kent. That's patreon.com slash Michael Kent. There was a time that humans used 100% organic products as healing balms and moisturizers for their skin. Well, I've partnered with an awesome company that wants to get back to those times. Fatco sells organic and responsibly made tallow-based skincare products. For centuries, humans used tallow in skin moisturizers and healing bombs, but unfortunately, the topical application of these fats seemed to stop around the same time that animal fats stopped being considered part of a healthy diet. A lot of modern skincare products do more harm than good by stripping your skin of its natural oils. Let's change that. You can try them out now at fatco.com and get 15% off your order by using my promo code INTERNET. Go to theinternetsaysitstrue.com slash deals for the link. Now at this point in the war, mid-1916, America was still neutral, meaning that the munitions being stored at Black Tom Island could have been sold to the highest bidder, whether that be Germany, France, Austria, or Great Britain. But there was a blockade of Germany in place by the Royal Navy, so America was only supplying munitions to the Allies. This was one of the major reasons that Germany was sending saboteurs to disrupt the supply chain from America, 
they really wanted to keep America neutral. But in the aftermath of the catastrophic explosions on Black Tom Island, the agencies investigating sort of preemptively decided it wasn't the work of foreign saboteurs. The FBI was in its infancy, the CIA wouldn't be established until after World War II, and they couldn't imagine that Germans would have done this. America was full of hard-working Germans looking for the American dream, and with all of the safety issues on Black Tom Island, it's like they weren't even looking for a saboteur. But the truth was much darker. Captain Franz von Rintelen had arrived in the US the previous year. He was a German naval intelligence officer and a master spy. Even the other agents from the German military didn't know about his secret orders. Von Rintelen entered the US with huge sums of money and direct orders from Berlin. He wanted to try to buy off some of the people in charge of storing the ammunition to see if he could get some rerouted to Berlin. He bribed officials, which included some of the security men responsible for guarding the pier at Black Tom Island. He had worked with a chemist to perfect a particular type of tiny bomb with a time-delayed incendiary device, and he told Admiral von Trippitz back in Berlin, quote, I'll buy what I can and blow up what I can't, end quote. Well, it was option B on July 30th, 1916. He was responsible for setting the fires that led to the explosions. Von Rintelen and his ring of helpers was fairly successful in their efforts. In New York alone, there had been 70 pier fires and 139 fires on board ships. The Black Tom event was the largest and the deadliest. We know all of this now, but without any sort of unified investigative body in 1916, this info took years to uncover. There simply wasn't any sort of federal body with the ability or the authority to deal with foreign saboteurs. It wasn't until several decades later that Germany was declared officially responsible and it was sued. It was 1939, and Germany had other plans happening at the time. The Nazi party in control of the government refused to pay. It wasn't until 1953 when the Federal Republic of Germany agreed to settle the matter and started paying the United States $95 million in damages. That money continued to be paid until 1979, 63 years after the attack. If you visit what's left of Black Tom Island today, there's a historical marker that tells this story. It starts, quote, You are standing on a site which saw one of the worst acts of sabotage in American history, end quote. So if you ever run across someone who claims they've been up to the Statue of Liberty's torch, now you know why they haven't. They've likely been up to the crown, which is open to the public, but the public hasn't visited the torch since 1916. And now... You can tell them why. It's time for the part of the podcast where I call a friend. And today I'm calling my friend Ken Weber. Ken and I met through our love of magic. He wrote one of the premier books on the showmanship aspect of magic. But he's also an investment advisor and accomplished author. His new book, Branding Democrats, written with his son Daryl, takes a look at how Democrats can use knowledge from the world of marketing and advertising and apply that to political strategy. Thanks for joining me, Ken. How have you been? Let's see. I've been fine. The name of the first book you mentioned is Maximum Entertainment. We should mention that. <laughs> yeah, there. I don't know how large my audiences are, are, are magicians, but yeah, um, Maximum Entertainment has been lauded as like the book to read if you want to know 
uh, what you're doing wrong in your magic show or you're not even just magicians, but mentalists, hypnotists, you know, any sort of mystery entertainer. Actually, um, I've had people say their spouse, who is a teacher, has read the book. Interesting. I can see how that that would apply. Yeah, there's a lot of great stuff in that book. And and you've uh, re-released the book with updated info. Uh, in the last few years. 2.0, that's correct. 2.0, yeah. And it's just, I mean, if you mention Maximum Entertainment to anyone who's a magician, they they know Ken Weber, they know what this is. Um, And and we met at Magi Fest uh, initially, but uh, you were just back in Columbus, Ohio for Magi Fest. Uh, Was it last week? Two weeks ago. Right, yeah, it was uh, just a week ago that I got back, had a great time. How was it? I, I was only able to go for the one day. I didn't get to see the rest of it. Yeah, it was okay, but as soon as you left, it got... I'm sorry to tell you, it just got way, you know where I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it always is, isn't it? That's how uh, it always is. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I've i just heard through the grapevine that some of the entertainers that, at the conference uh, this year were just incredible. I also, yeah. uh, you had mentioned that you just did a spot on Tom Hartman, who uh, I've been a Tom Hartman fan for years, and I listened to it. Uh, on my when I was traveling that day, and that was fantastic. You were talking about branding Democrats. What made yeah. you want to write a book about branding specific to the Democratic Party? My son, first of all, Daryl Weber, is a branding expert. He has worked for all names you know, global names, as a branding consultant, and and he was he has a whole uh, sterling resume. Uh, and what made me write it? I got tired of screaming at the television screen. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. Every you once know, in a while, they, I, I shoot an angry tweet to you about, can you believe this? Yeah, exactly. We, an angry that's text. how we became friends, actually. That's Much right. more from the political side than the magic side. Yeah. And, and the funny thing is, when after I read your book, I don't know why I did this, but I was curious. Somehow, something made me want to like, uh, I, I wanted to see if you were like on Twitter. And I found this Ken Weber on Twitter and followed him. And I quickly learned this Ken Weber that was on Twitter that I was following was like a hardcore right wing hey. loon. And and Uh-oh. so and I didn't tell, say it to anyone for a long time. I was like, oh, that's a bummer. I really enjoyed this work. I'm going <laughs> to in my mind, I'm going to separate, you know, maximum entertainment Ken Weber yeah. from political Ken Weber. And then I was talking to our, our mutual friend, um, Jeff Everson. And I was like, yeah, he's like, because Jeff is also, you know, politically aligned with with us. And he was like, I was like, yeah, it's a bummer that he's and he was like, what are you talking about? Ken Weber is like you and I. He's on our team. And uh, and then I realized I just had the wrong Twitter account. So <laughs> it wasn't you. And thankfully, um, but in, I've read the book. Uh, I, I got the chance to read the book early. And, you know, a lot of these things that everyone deals with in terms of marketing and, and branding and advertising can be applied to the Democratic Party and to not only campaigns, but just political strategy in general. And it's something that Democrats have been very bad at notoriously for a very long time. That's correct. That That's the thesis of the book, is that um, Democrats do a reasonably good job at marketing. First, we define marketing versus branding. Marketing is, you know, uh, we sell watches. Our watches are on sale this week. Buy our watches. Uh, branding is Rolex. Never talk about the watches. Just give a sense of who this company is. Yeah. The Republicans have done a very good job over the years of branding themselves and, sadly, branding the Democrats. And the Democrats have done a terrible job of long-term branding. You know, yeah. what? Did, 
My problem, Mark Michael, you're going to get me started. I always say to friends, <laughs> don't get me started. <laughs> you got me started. Uh, I just sent out a blast uh, to some uh, email people, uh, you know, uh, podcasters and all. And we're talking about um, if they had followed branding Democrats, Democrats would still hold the House yeah. if they had followed the suggestions in the book. Because, because it really was some of these things in this book that it ended up hurting Democrats. Um, yeah. Things like allowing Republicans to define the Democratic Party with things like defund the police and, and just yeah. bad market, bad branding, you know. And Over and over, the Republicans set the agenda and Democrats simply respond instead of letting the high school senior, the college freshman, the, the kids who re- never open a newspaper, never watch the evening news. They have only the vaguest idea. And we want people to start at the top of the column when they go into the election booth, if they do, and just go down the column because we need the local people too to be elected. Yeah, And so absolutely. they have to understand that there's stuff that's in every Democrat's DNA, uh, workers' rights, LBGDQ rights, saving the environment, health care for all, you know, all these things and, and many, many more. Uh, women's rights in terms of abortion uh, rights. Um, so many that 95% of Democrats agree on. And people don't understand that's who you're voting for. You can't adjudicate when you see the ads uh, for your local congressperson that, you know, I'm great and my opponent's terrible. And then, you know, the next one is the same thing. No, you got to understand what the party stands for. Republicans have that branding down. We don't. The book, which is a short book, book uh, Branding Democrats, hopes to uh, change that. And yeah. we're getting some good traction, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. You are. Um, I'm hearing more and more. Uh, you know, you'll you'll tell me, hey, so and so got their hand on the book. I'm like, how did you? I mean, you were at the White House a few weeks ago. Like this is, you know, it's it's, it's well, it's, well. It's, that sounds like Ken was invited to sit with Joe. Yeah. <laughs> Joe. <laughs> Through your our, friend, our through your, your yeah, our mutual friend, uh, Congressman Mark Pocan, um, yeah, from Wisconsin, from Wisconsin, who also has a love of magic and and um, and is a congressman, and is a congr- a real congressman, and a, a great congressman, um, yes. and and a longtime friend of Tom Hartman as well, and um, you know, a, a regular guest on that show. But we didn't bring you on necessarily to talk just about your book because I brought you on to play this quiz about something that uh, you have no idea about other than the fact that I did let you know that this was a New York-centric story. And for this first question, Ken, we're going to play for a joke. So if you get it wrong, you have to tell me a joke. And if you get it right, I'll tell you a joke. So here is your question. This is multiple choice. Which one of these is the real reason that nobody from the public can access the Statue of Liberty's torch? Is it A, the torch area is used for the storage of paint and maintenance materials, B, it was damaged in a 1916 terrorist attack at Black Tom Island across the harbor, or C, it's solid copper with no access? First of all, let's establish the ground rules here. I'm a born and bred, bred New Yorker. <laughs> so if you embarrass me, we may and not be friends in so 30 there's minutes. So there's a reason. I try not to bring subject matter experts on the show because of that. I don't want to embarrass someone like, here's someone who's really good at science. You didn't know that okay. science question. But these are things that not many, I purpose, these are things that not many people actually know about. And I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of New Yorkers don't know be- about this. Before you... Um, Say the answer mm-hmm. before you gave the three choices. Yeah, I said I, I know the answer, but oh, yeah? none of the, none of what I thought was the answer 
was A, B, or C. <laughs> what, which, which, what did you think was the answer? <laughs> that it was, it was uh, became too precarious. They did allow people. Was the question up to the, the torch? Up to the torch, yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely not. It's definitely not the paint storage. It's okay. definitely not that. Um, and uh, it's it's the answer is it's basically it became precarious. Um, people used to be allowed up there, and then something happened, and they said this is just too dangerous. I myself have climbed up those steps up to the crown. The crown, yes. Look out, as have I. Yes, but um, so like you've that. you've ruled out A. So it's either B or C. A. B was that it was damaged in 1916 from a terrorist attack at Black Tom Island across the harbor, or C, it's solid copper with no access. Since I, since in my lifetime they used to be allowed, and as old as I am, <clears throat> I was not around climbing steps in 1916. Thank you very much. Uh, so it's got to be C then, even though I say that's not quite the answer. But we'll go with C. <laughs> the answer is B. It was damaged in a 1916 terrorist attack at Black Tom Island across the harbor. Now here's the interesting thing: you said that in your lifetime people have gone up there, and this I is a very formed. common. It's like one of those Mandela effect things, because there are a lot of people that will claim that either they have been to the torch or people they know have been to the torch. And according to the the I guess it'd be the parks, a park authority or whatever, the New York State, the Harbor Authority, whoever takes care of that. Nobody has been allowed up in the torch since they shut it down in 1916, because this was uh, a huge ter German terrorist attack during World War One. Uh, it was a sabotage deal where the munitions plant right across you know, two, three thousand feet away from the, the statue was blown up and the rivets on this thing popped out um, and it became very unsafe to even go up into the torch. And so apparently since 1916, nobody's been up there other than, you know, the maintenance people. All right. I'll accept B under protest. <laughs> OK, fine, <laughs> fine. Uh, so do you have a do you have a joke? By the way, I prepared one joke. That's great. And, you know, I most I went through my whole list of jokes. I don't know how, you know, politically incorrect or so I said, I'm just going to play it safe. OK, fine. It's, this gets put on NPR one. So I try to keep it somewhat, you know, somewhat safe. This, this is very safe. In fact, it's it's from yesterday on my flight down on Spirit Airlines. Oh, oh no, that in itself might be a joke. Yeah, no, but uh, my, my wife and I had the first class seats, which are the first two rows, which are wider. I've never flown Spirit. I've only heard the horror stories. Actually, it's not nearly as bad as people say, but that's good. Um, yeah, so the joke, and she gets on before she tells everybody to fill out the form for the uh, MasterCard, you know, application or whatever it is. <laughs> and she said she's going to tell three dad jokes, and she apologized ahead of time. So I'm also apologizing ahead of time. <laughs> This was this joke is uh, less than 24 hours old in my head. Why did the chicken cross the road and by <laughs> after it saw a bunch of lettuce in the middle of the road? <laughs> Why? Chicken sees a salad. Chick oh my lord. Oh no. Boo. <laughs> oh my we get one okay. of these. Spirit Airlines, not Ken Weber. It's, did you have to pay Spirit Airlines extra to hear that joke? I should have charged them. You're right. Well, here's one I, I had ready for this week in case you get the first one right. What's in this one's iffy. I, this is not the type of joke I'd normally tell on this program. What's the difference between beer nuts and deer nuts? One's a dollar ninety nine, and the other one's under a buck. 
Not too bad. That's also a groaner. That, that barely that barely gets a PG rating. That's, yeah, that's good. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to another question. And for this next question, if you get it wrong, you've got to tell me some sort of embarrassing story, whether it's a story from the stage or a story from life, whatever you'd like. Uh, the Statue of Liberty was intended to celebrate the abolition of slavery in America, which is something that many African-Americans saw as hypocritical because Jim Crow laws took hold in the South and through the design. Um, so the design was actually changed to be more subtle. But the sculptor did leave in a nod to abolition in the final design that exists today. Which one of these is it? Is it A, the tablet she holds has text from the 13th Amendment? B, there are broken chains and shackle at her feet? Or C, the dates 1619 to 1865 are inscribed in the base? This is a tough one. That sound is my fingers doing this. <laughs> Your thinking fingers. <clears throat> this is good trivia. A, a was uh, a was uh, the Thirteenth Amendment is written on the tablet that she holds. I don't think it's that. Uh, B was um, there are broken chains and shackle at her feet, and C was that the dates sixteen nineteen to eighteen sixty five, which are considered the official yeah. dates that slavery yeah. were slavery were in based. the United States. Were, <clears throat> I'm going to have to go with B, broken chains and shackles. The answer is B. There are broken chains and shackles at her feet. So, yeah, at the time of the dedication, I guess uh, I read the, that many of the African-American newspapers commented on the American hypocrisy, you know, because of what I said of the Jim Crow laws. Uh, but, you know, also uh, the the original, I guess this guy Bartoldi or Bartholdi, um, when he when he originally designed it he had her holding broken chains in her hands and Ooh. uh that was seen as too controversial and too like on the nose and so they made it more subtle they put the broken chains and the shackles at their feet and that's the way it is now and that is something i could not have told you was there having visited the statue and and you know oh. you you can't remember everything michael you're worried about <laughs> you got the right ticket are you going to yeah, trying to get stuck going up and can't get down. But, but you don't you know, look at her gum. feet, you know. I know that there's the, the thing where it's like she's stepping forward, and that's supposed to signify progress and whatnot. But like uh, the fact that there are these broken chains on her feet, I bet not many people realize. So, I hope the third question has to do with Emma Lazarus, a good New York Jew like me. I don't know anything about uh, Emma Lazarus, but uh, no, she wrote she wrote the the inscription. Give me your tired, your poor. Oh, your, oh, 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 that is, and that is what the tablet says uh, that that she's holding. Um, not the 13th Amendment. I think Amendment. that's on, inscribed on the base. Now, is it? internet says it's true, so you know, we got to check this out. If it's not part of the, one of the official questions, I can't vouch for it because these, these are only the things that, you know, I, it's it's probably important that as I do this podcast <clears throat> that I that I remind the audience, I don't know these things before I look them up. Uh, it's not Michael Kent says it's true. It's the internet says it's true. And so these are things that I spend the week researching, uh, you know, and then that, <clears throat> that way we all learn something new every week. I do have an embarrassing uh, story to tell you, but it's not anything having to do with performing. Uh, this happened last week. So I come home and the kitchen table was like cleaned off. There's no bills and, and stuff sitting all over the table like it normally is. And my wife had, had cleaned the table and left a note. And the note was very funny. It was like, dear, you know, visitors to the Kent house, notice how this table is very clean. And it was like two pages, this whole note. And, and it was very funny and I laughed really hard at it because she had done something similar a few months ago and left a different, very funny note 
with very clever writing and stuff. And, and I laughed really hard at it and I texted her, your, your note is hilarious. I love it. And she goes, what are you talking about? Uh, that's the same note. So it was the exact note that she had left on the table from a few months before. <laughs> and uh, I just didn't remember it. And I was, I was complimenting her. But in cleaning the table, she had found the old note and put it up. So I was, my memory is going. It's just not a good memory anymore. You know, what are you going to do? Not, it's not your memory, Michael. It's just you taking in so many new things. That's, yeah. Your brain has to kick out the. Kick uh, out some things. I'm okay with that theory. That's a that's a good a good theory. I you know, and and those are the types of things I'm okay with it kicking out. When I did when I you know, I went on hiatus forever from doing the the live show. When I finally went back on the road and and performed, the show, the lines, the jokes, they all came back without me having to think about it too hard. And I was really nervous for this. It was uh my first show back was at Keller's Comedy and Magic Club in in Erie, Pennsylvania, and I, I was really nervous, but it went fine. The thing that left, the knowledge, the memory that left was how to pack and unpack my show. Like what goes where in the cases? How do I do this? How do I travel? What do I have to do? And when I go to the rental car, what's my, you know, my rewards number, all that crap left. What, just what's, your, what's your alias? My, yeah. What's my alias for the hotel? Uh, no. <laughs> Thankfully, I don't need any of that. Um, anymore. Anymore. Yeah. Now my, my. Young days are over. Uh, no, of, I, statute of limitations is in your favor. Ah, geez, don't you're gonna get me in trouble. That's uh, none of the, these are jokes. These are jokes. This is not true. Um, none of this is true. Even the internet <laughs> will agree. No, the internet. The, okay, let's move on. Question three, Ken. For this question, the tradition is that we play for a sticker. This is an internet says it's true sticker. It's three inches by three inches. It's square and it is sticky. Uh, so. Here's this is another Statue of Liberty question, even though this story wasn't really about the Statue of Liberty. The Statue of Liberty was just a really great like um, symbol result of this bombing that happened at Black Tom Island. Um, But this one is uh, I found interesting. The original torch of the Statue of Liberty, it's been replaced and altered um, several times throughout the statue's history. But the original bomb scarred torch was replaced in 1984 and can now be viewed in which one of these locations? A, Madison Square Park, B, the Statue of Liberty Museum on Liberty Island, or C, the International Spy Museum in Washington, D.C.? Being a habitu- habitué? What's the word when you habitually go to a place? <laughs> uh, uh, I, I, yeah. I, I, yeah, a regular, <clears throat> I guess. Yeah, a regular at Madison Square Park, although not terribly recently. It's not there. It's not there. Okay. No. So you've ruled um, out A. And C was what? Uh, the International Spy Museum in Washington, D.C. Good, good choice, but no. No? It's, it's C- in the, uh, it's B. It's and B. it's in the, uh, the uh, Statue of Liberty Museum, which only opened a few years ago. The answer is B. Only opened a few years ago. So now the reason I threw Madison Square Park in there is because for 10 years before the statue was unveiled, the torch was in Madison Square Park because that's what they used to raise funds for the pedestal that it sits on. Um, so they Again, had before I was born, Michael. I know <laughs> well, was... it looks like I'm, but I'm not that old. That was 1876. So yeah. uh, that was, was quite a bit. Years later. Yeah, 1876. The torch came over, um, and I found this interesting. So the original torch it went through a ton of like iterations because they wanted to make it glow, and so they tried like 
you know, drilling out areas and, and having a light inside of it and all these different things before they replaced it with what we see now, which is the golden, shiny, shiny version of the thing. But it used to, it used to be in the actual pedestal. So when they took it down in 84, they put it in the pedestal of the statue up until 2018 when they opened this new museum and then they moved it across. So when you come to New York, we'll go together to the museum. I would love to. I would love to go there. Uh, I have only been to the Statue of Liberty once and I was in junior high, which, you know, I don't have those memories. I remember the going up with being a being New Yorker there. is that we can always go next week. And so we end up not going. Yeah. And my one time to the Statue of Liberty was when we had um, a guest, right, mm-hmm. that we had to take. And so we took her up there and uh, otherwise I'm, I still. <laughs> I'm also <laughs> fine when I come to New York, not doing the touristy stuff. I mean, I, <laughs> I'm i cool just, you know, being with friends and seeing I I, I have been meaning to get there. Um, Allie and I are going to take a trip soon, I think. Um, and and my buddy lives up there and, and has a spare bedroom and um, has has graciously offered to to put us up and. And uh, who actually put was you up the, or put up, put up with you, put up with us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was on the podcast last week named Josh Quillen uh, two weeks ago. Excuse me, Josh Quillen. You heard him on the podcast. Um, so we'll do that some some of these days. And then I want to hit some of the New York shows and and I want to go to like the stuff I see you guys all doing, you know, the Monday Night Magic and the McKittrick and all the the the, the fun things that people do. And Aussie Wind. You got to see Aussie Wind. I, I, I do. But he frustrates me. Aussie Wind, for those of you who don't know, is an incredible card magician. And um, it's he's so good that it's frustrating. He, that's yeah. that's how good he is. Um, I am entertained, but I'm also frustrated. Right. So. The show is amazing. I mean, it's 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 card magic, but it's way much. It's it's much more. Yeah, yeah. His version of any card at any number is just like one of the cleanest and and simplest I've seen. It's just incredible. Uh, okay, so for question four, we're gonna play for doing the dishes. By the way, you do get a sticker. So next time I see you, I'll have one of these to give you um question four we're gonna play for doing the dishes so if you get it wrong you've immediately got to go do the dishes when you're done if you get it right i'll go do mine um and you know if you want to just throw them in the dishwasher that counts but we both know there's stuff that you can't do i know you just got down to florida right so you might not have too many dishes yet i had breakfast and lunch okay well there you go there's some dishes to do uh the explosion at black tom island happened what's with this black tom i never heard of black tom island i don't know if they call it that anymore so uh, it's yeah, it's not. it's been on my list forever. It's literally just to the west of the. If you're looking at the Statue of Liberty, look 2,500 feet to the left on the map, okay. and it's basically a pier. And it used to be the reason it's called Black Tom Island was obviously you know racism. That's how anything with you know the back then got got named. There was a fisherman, a dark skinned fisherman, who they called Black Tom. And eventually, the Lehigh Railroad bought this island and connected it to the mainland. So it's more of a peninsula, but they kept the name Black Tom Island. And it was the largest mun- munitions storage facility in the world during oh. World War I. And so, you know, America at this point was, was neutral. We're selling munitions all over the world. Well, once the UK put in the blockade, um, we couldn't sell to anyone except for the allies in World War I. So that's why Germany wanted to attack this uh, well, they they wanted to steal some of the if they could steal some of the munitions, great. If not, they were going to blow them up, and they did. They blew them up, and it was uh, for a long time one of the largest uh, 
recorded explosions, explosions in, in the world, you know. What's and, the question? Your audience <laughs> is on the edge of their seats. What's the question? <laughs> the question is about the timing of this whole thing. Uh, it happened in the last year of Woodrow Wilson's first term. Which one of these three events happened in the first month of his second term? Okay, so one of these happened uh, in the first month of his second term. A, the United States entered the war in Europe. B, the Hindenburg disaster. Or C, the sinking of the Titanic. So in order to get this one right, you kind of have to know about these other two things and sort of when they happened. Um, and, and the one that's right. Okay. So Hindenburg, there. I think was in the 1930s. Okay. So we're ruling out B. Well, you said this was Woodrow Wilson. He was world war one. Yeah. So the Hindenburg would be a decade later. So Hindenburg is out. Not Hindenburg. Got it. Not Hindenburg. Hindenburg. Oh, the humanity. And that was in New Jersey, by the way. Okay. So. Uh, what's A, A and B, C? A and C was, uh, A was U U.S. entered the war in Europe. C was the sinking of the Titanic. C was the sinking of the Titanic. What year was that? That was like 1917, 18, something like that, as was the beginning of the war. Oh, you're pissing me off. You're looking, you're looking to me for help. No, I'm just looking at you with, <laughs> with you said this to be New York centric. New York centric <laughs> means on Broadway and 52nd Street. That's right. Well, okay. this is in Jersey. Uh, this is this is more Jersey cent Jersey City. Yeah. But yeah. I will tell you, you know, Statue of Liberty is, is sort of in New Jersey. It's, it's claimed by both. One of the I'm interesting sorry? things about this explosion is that it's said to have taken out all of the windows in uh, every high rise building in Manhattan when it happened. That's how that's how big this explosion was. They could hear it all the way in Philly. Well, um, let's go with a. The answer is a. The U.S. entered the war in Europe in uh, the first month of his second term. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, wheels were moving at that point. Basically, all of these these saboteurs were trying to get the U.S. from, you know, trying to keep the U.S. neutral. Correct. They did not want the U.S. to take sides in this. And because of the blockade, the U.S. was forced to take sides because we J.P. Morgan needed to sell bombs. That's basically what happened, um, you know, and and so the same people that were sabotaging Black Tom Island in this big explosion just around the same time actually broke into J.P. Morgan's home and shot the guy twice. Uh, of course, he lived. But that was the reason because he was a war profiteer. So you are you're three for four at this point. So wait a minute. So J.P. Morgan was trying to sell bombs, and now J.P. Morgan Chase says sells high interest credit cards. Yeah, which is more which destructive? Causes more damage overall. Okay, <laughs> yeah. it's a good question. Uh, all right, you're three for four, and this one is for all the marbles. So if you get this wrong, I'm banning you from the show, never to be asked on again. If you get it right, I'd be happy to have you back. And this is an open ended question. This is a question that I asked on Facebook, and I loved the answer, so I'd like to hear yours. Let's, this is an essay question. Yeah, words. it's an essay question. That's right. Uh, you were just, let's say you were just given the most powerful microphone in the world. You have five minutes to say anything you want, and everyone in the world will hear your words, but they'll hear it in their own language. So you don't have to know any other languages for this. You say, you know, you speak your piece into this microphone. What is it that you are telling the world? 
First of all, to our dear listeners, Michael Kent and Ken Weber have one thing in common. We are both advocates of a handheld microphone. <laughs> it's, I didn't bring this up for that point, but that is a that is a great point. And if you want to know how to use a handheld microphone, you can go to microphonemanagement.com. And uh, my friend Ken was the was the the person who inspired uh, me using a go- so. In the world of magic, a lot of magicians think that they have to use, you know, the Britney Spears, Garth Brooks microphone <laughs> on their face um, right. and uh, or they have to use, you know, a lapel mic because our, we need our hands. And Ken said it to me. Uh, Alon New said it to me. They said, listen. Well, it's know, in the book. It's in my first. It's in the book. It's in the book. Yeah. yeah you talk about it a in nice the book. little chapter. I said most magicians will not agree with this, but I'm a strong advocate of using handheld mic microphone. And then Mike, Michael Kent and many others. Yeah, actually have proven that I was right because you can do it. Yeah. And I'll never go back. Uh, and there are a lot of reasons, but, uh, you know, the, it, it's it's become a religion almost for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. everyone who who switches to use a handheld mic says, oh, my gosh, what was I doing? You were so right. So and for any performers who happen to be listening, Michael's what do we call that? Uh, what you did? Microphone management for magicians. I know, I know but what do oh. we call it? It's a video. Oh, thing. it's a lecture. It's a. It's a video lecture, right? Yeah, on this it's a subject. Yeah. And it is excellent. Thank I you. actually learned stuff I didn't think I would learn, and it was excellent. I appreciate that. You know, <laughs> my good friend Jonathan Burns, who I've performed with and, and known for years, he finally watched it the other day and he was like, Why didn't you tell me some of these things? We've been friends for years. I'm like, You didn't buy the lecture. So that's that's why. Uh, <laughs> some of the things. So, anywho, you've got yeah. five minutes uh, I, I to have, say I anything a, to the world. I don't need five minutes. Okay. Holding my handheld giant microphone, <laughs> and I'm just saying to everybody, listen more and talk less. That's fantastic, and that's a, a winning answer. Listen more and talk less. Listen to our friends and to our frenemies, and uh, and that's why you know for a long time I used to, I used to listen to uh, political views I didn't agree with, and I went through that torture of I would literally listen to to, we have to I mean I try to turn on Fox News once in a while like yeah it's hard especially in the prime time you know when you got the crazies on but you got it said it to me uh two days ago when the balloon thing the alley my wife said it to me two days ago she goes we should watch Fox News to say what they're saying about this balloon because we just knew it was going to be like you know angry that uh that we didn't shoot down this balloon we're straying here but yeah. When the Biden uh, jobs report came in, which surprised everyone, lowest unemployment rate in 50 years, and mm-hmm. you know everything about it was uh, really great. And so we did see, you know, okay, is Fox even going to mention it? Well, we found a mention, but then they quickly move on. Yeah, yeah, they won't and mention most Republicans, it. Most Republicans at this moment in time, right now, think that um, the economy is in a terrible situation. In fact, the economy, except for inflation, which is a global phenomenon, mm-hmm. except for that, the economy is actually incredibly strong. It is. And there are 100 countries, probably more than 100 countries, with worse inflation than the U.S. As, as global inflation goes, the U.S. Mm-hmm. Is, is fighting it better than a lot of places. Well, um, I, I published, I posted on Facebook uh, a couple of months ago that um, among the developed countries, we're sort of right in the middle. Half are worse than us, but we're all pretty, pretty close to each other. So yeah. people blame Biden for inflation, have no clue what they're talking about. Right, right. But it's a it's a convenient talking point. It's the same thing with gas. You know, uh, it's 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 really easy oh, to it's an easy thing to point to. And, and it goes kind of goes back to your book, Branding Democrats, and that uh, the general public or the general electorate isn't great at nuance. 
Um, but but we sort of tend to think in talking points and in bullet points and and bumper stickers and uh, it's a really easy bumper sticker, you know. Like how how many how many of these stickers did we see on gas pumps with the I did that Biden thing? Like, yeah, it's a really effective marketing tool for the Republicans to blame these exactly. giant global issues on the president. So um, I like to say that, unfortunately, Democrats uh, stand on policies sometimes requires a second sentence. Yeah, yeah, which is is, is that's is, our problem is bad news sometimes. Yeah, that's bad news sometimes. Awesome. Ken, it has been so much fun to, to okay, catch up with you. When do I expect you. all my prizes? You, you, they'll be in the mail. Uh, you know, you get the, well, first of all, you got to do the dishes, right? No, I got to do the dishes. You got that question right. So the only thing, the only prize that you but what get was my is a tally sticker. Here out of five? You did four out of five, which is and fantastic. How many of your guests typically get four out of five? Uh, 20%, maybe 15%. It's not, it's not a large percentage. So you did really well. You being a New Yorker paid off for you today. Uh, and, and next time do more, uh, New York centric, you know, like the Island rather than the, the, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. I need to, to do a, a story. You know, I've been wanting to do a story about the bomber that crashed into the, um, empire state building. And, uh, uh, and I haven't done that, but I'll put that on the list. Maybe that'd be a good one. Yeah, that's quite a story, too. Well, tell people hey, where they can find uh, your book. Branding Democrats is on Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, you can see uh, branding. If you go to brandingdemocrats.com, you can see the Tom Hartman uh, podcast, the video version. And you can see some of the reviews between you and me, Michael. I don't know how many people are still listening, but between <laughs> you and me, I'm on a little bit of a high. Um, a, I better not say the name. But a high-ranking, well-known Democratic congressperson, a name you would know, called me two mornings ago. Oh, yeah? Wants me to uh, come down to Washington. But oh. in this, and I had a, had a paper to take notes. And he said, your book is fantastic. Oh, that's so great. That's so great. Well, I'm on it a bit of be, a high right now. It Michael. should be required reading for all of his colleagues. And I hope, uh, so. I, I hope so that that's He's going to try and uh, have his people contact my people. And by my people, I mean me. You and your son. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, I hope that uh, that turns into uh, to more people getting this message. And I'm sure it will. Well, yeah. once again, it's uh, the book is Branding Democrats. Um, thank you so much to my guest, Ken Weber. And uh, it was great catching up with you. Enjoy your time in, in sunny weather down there. Always love, love seeing you, Michael. You're a good guy. Well, that's the show for this week. Thanks for tuning in. And thank you to my friend Ken Weber for being my guest. Here's some audio of a little kid's saboteur. Thank you for listening to The Internet Says It's True. To listen to episodes ad-free and a week early, support us on Patreon. You can do that at patreon.com forward slash Michael Kent. If you learned something just now that you didn't already know, go to the Apple Podcast app and leave us a review with five stars and a few words. That helps us a ton, because that's how the algorithm works. I don't know what an algorithm is, but just do it! See you next week for a brand new episode of The Internet Says It's True!
The internet says it's true. We'd like to thank the Patreon subscribers whose monthly contributions help to make this show possible. Dallas Ray, Sean Brown, Bryce Swanson, Eugene Anderson, Matt McVeigh, Jim Martin, Joanne Martin, the show's official Emperor Kick Track. The show is written and produced by me, Michael Kent. The theme song is by Finite Music Forge. All audio clips in this episode are used for education and commentary and used under Fair Use Title 17 USC Section 107. You can listen to past episodes by searching for The Internet Says It's True wherever you get your podcasts, and you can see bonus content at patreon.com slash Michael Kent.